best friends. I'm Tabby. And I'm Caitlin. And today we will be discussing I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. So this is going to be a little bit different than what we typically do. And normally we do focus on fiction, you know, fantasy rom-coms. We are diving into some nonfiction. This is a super awesome memoir. We were very, very excited to read it. However, the general layout, the format of this episode will look and sound a little different since, you know, there's no characters or anything like that that we're really focusing on. But we will be touching on, you know, some kind of difficult topics and we'll have some awesome discussion questions later. And we're really excited. Yeah. And, you know, for the podcast, we haven't done nonfiction before. So I feel like this is a good introduction to it for this particular show. And I think that this memoir was extremely well written and, um, it tackles some pretty heavy issues that should be discussed. So uh, we're not going to read like the Goodreads description because it is lengthy. Super long. (laughs) And it also basically describes everything that's in there. So if you want like a summary of what all's in there, go to Goodreads and you can get a hold of that information. Um, But we're going to kick things off with what would you rate this book? So... I gave it a 9.5 out of 10. I still gave it a super high rating. I just am not a nonfiction person. It's not for me. I don't really enjoy it. However, I loved this memoir. I, again, thought it just was very transparent. It was very brave to talk about some of these topics, especially in the field that she was in and some of the people that she had to deal with. Um, I'm sure there were a lot of repercussions from it. So yeah, it's still a 9.5 out of 10, just a little lower because I don't care for nonfiction. That's fair. I'm also not much of a nonfiction girly in general. Like, that's not how I like to spend my free time. But that being said, I did rate this book a 10 out of 10. The reason why I rated it so highly, even though I'm not a nonfiction person, is because it was so brutally real and honest. And I really think it would help a lot of people who are struggling with similar like abusive relationships with their parents yeah, or just like other family members in general to like be able to recognize what's going on. Because even for Jeanette herself, like she did not realize what was happening was abuse until later in her life. And the therapist suggested it. So I think a lot of times like what people need is the real truth to just kind of be like put there right in front of them um, even if it sucks to hear yeah so I think this book is really important for that reason Um, that being said I did the first time I listened to it I listened to the audiobook and I think that if I had read the print version first I think my rating wouldn't have been as high sure the audiobook it fully enhances it for me Jeanette herself reads the book and it helped you to like feel a lot more emotionally connected to what was going on. But also whenever there would be parts of the story that you would think like, oh, that's crazy to talk about, to like tell people about, especially like millions of strangers, you would assume that her delivery would be a little more like tactful, but it was just extremely (laughs) deadpan or, or, you know, like you could feel kind of the dry humor but I feel I think, like just after all that time, you almost have to like laugh at yourself. Oh, like for sure. And like, that is, that is a coping mechanism that so many people are familiar with. I think yeah. it's a, a relatively healthy one. Like I think it sure. 
it helps you to um, acknowledge that things are bad, but also not let them like truly like hurt you. Right. Um, But just like hearing her deliver those lines with like that, like emotionless humor, it just made me enjoy it even more. I can't imagine anyone else reading it besides her. It was just so perfect. I, love uh, it. I think I'll have to download the audiobook and maybe that's partially why I just maybe wasn't able to get into it as much was because I was just reading it like as a bystander like yeah trying to get into the trauma of someone else and I feel like it would be deep and meaningful coming from the person themselves 100% I do think that this book was just made to be an audiobook sure and I don't normally like think that about books because normally I can consume them in either print or audiobook and I'm like yeah it's about the same for me I feel like it would almost be like attending like a TED talk mm-hmm. it did kind of feel like that yeah yeah and I think that would really enhance it as well oh so yeah maybe it was... it was just really meant to be like read aloud yeah I really love it it's like poetry like it's meant to be heard not read you know I love that <laughs> that was deep <laughs> But yeah, that being said, like if you guys can get your hands on the audiobook, highly recommend. Till on ten, if you got a free credit from Audible, go ahead and download that. Do it, girly. You won't regret it. Um, so before jumping into some of the discussion questions, which is going to take up most of today's episode, um, so things I did want to touch on is just a little bit of like history of child actors and some of the laws and protections in place that um, weren't there or maybe overlooked sometimes because even though these laws are in place, there's always loopholes and it's seen a lot in some some more recent cases that I'll touch on as well, but Something that Jeanette mentions early on in the book is a Coogan account. And so what that is, is basically an account for a child actor or a child star under the age of 18 to save like their earnings. So 15% legally of their earnings has to go into this Coogan account that they can access when they turn 18. However, the rest of the money is unfortunately up to the discretion of their parents. And part of that will go to their agents or um, whoever's representing them. So in reality, they're getting a very small cut of their own earnings. This law actually wasn't enacted until 2000. So it's fairly new. So think of, you know, all the you know, child stars from prior to this that were probably taken advantage of by their families, by their parents. The only reason it was created was because of Jackie Coogan. Um, He is actually most well-known as his role's Uncle Fester in the original Adams Family movie. But he ended up getting into this super long court dealing with his mother who had basically spent like all of his earnings as a child. It was a really nasty court battle between them. And so the Coogan law was enacted to kind of protect child stars and make sure they at least get a portion of their earnings. I still feel like it should be more, but it is what it is because it is literally child labor. Like, yeah, but Again, that's not even always the case. And uh, Jeanette touched on it as well. Like her mom spent a lot of her earnings and she did still have that account when she turned 18. But the rest of it, I don't think she really got to see or it was spent on upkeep, like her mom said. So her appearance, Jeanette's appearance, you know, whatever else she felt she needed to spend it on. So it's really, really sad. 
That's wild. And yet, like, still, once Jeanette was an adult, her mom, like, had the audacity to, like, ask her for money and stuff. It's like, well, where did, you know, the other 85% of this money go? So something else I wanted to touch on is just the mistreatment that we've seen in the past for child actors, child stars, um, because it's very evident. And I think a lot more is coming out now than what it used to just with, you know, social media and people feeling a little bit braver speaking out on these things, which I think is awesome that they are able to do that. But I think one of the most like notorious victims of, you know, unfair child labor would be Judy Garland. She is most known for her roles, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. So children, you know, back in this time, were still not really seen, obviously, as adults. They were props. They were used for whatever. And so she was overworked. She was underpaid and put into, you know, really terrible environments. Um, She was forced to keep like a youthful figure so she could continue getting roles and was only allowed a diet of cigarettes and black coffee while she was on set, Um, as well as, you know, very sleeping pills, stuff like that to kind of repress like hunger. Um, she worked really crazy hours that often resulted in exhaustion-related illnesses and developed her own mental illnesses that affected, you know, her career, her relationship with her child, Liza Minnelli, who was also a child star and is still, you know, very relevant today. But I think her experience was overlooked just because she did turn to drugs, she did turn to all these things, and people kind of overlooked it, which... You see that today, too, with like Lindsay Lohan, with a lot of Disney actresses, which we'll talk about later. They're just Um, like, oh, wow. Well, she just went crazy. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that was because of what they experienced on set with adults that they trusted. Yeah. Um, Aaron Carter is another one that actually happened very recently. So he passed away um, back in 2022 from an overdose. Um, But he had a longstanding legal battle with his parents over um, his earnings from as a child. So his parents actually spent over $5 million of his personal earnings. Actually, I think that was 50. That may be more. It may have been 500 million. That might be incorrect, Um, which is even worse. Of his personal earnings, he ended up having to go to court over it. Um, He did not recover most of that money. And that did lead to a lot of financial instability for him because, you know, at a certain age, he stopped performing. He stopped getting, um, you know, gigs. And so I'm sure that did affect him greatly. He dealt with physically abusive parents, um, which did result in his longtime drug use that inevitably led to his overdose last year. Super, super sad. His brother is actually part of NSYNC. Um, and he spoke out about it quite a bit as well. He dealt with, you know, some of the same things, maybe to a lesser extent, because he was a legal adult when he was in the band. But unfortunately, Aaron did not have the same outcome. The Culkin brothers are another good example, I think, of parents taking advantage of their children. So their father was their manager for most of their childhood years. He was mentally and physically abusive forced his children to work insane hours prior to the Coogan accounts, had full control over their earnings. Um, And they actually talk about this quite a bit in a lot of their interviews, how when his parents separated, they basically cut ties with their dad. And that's when they started getting better roles. You can see that their mental health was getting a little bit better. So another one of those cases where it's better maybe to not have a parent in the picture, unfortunately. Jeez, yeah. 
uh, Shirley Temple is the last one that I thought was kind of important. So her story is really sad. She was over-sexualized as a child. Um, She was put into some very risque roles because her mom was her agent as well. She cited many instances of abuse on work sites. So when children acted out, they were locked in windowless rooms. And she said one time she was forced to sit on blocks of ice because she had acted out. So they sat on blocks of ice for hours um, and was, you know, sexually harassed and assaulted on set by coworkers, members of staff. So there's a lot of dark things that go on. There are. I watched like a a video essay about it, basically about how like literally Shirley Temple was always like being touched by grown men Mm -hmm. and, and like not even necessarily like quote unquote sexually. But, like, there's always physical contact between her and the literal adult male character of whatever film they're filming. It is pretty bizarre how blatant it was. And people were just like, yeah, this is chill. Um, It's so disgusting. But speaking of, like, over-sexualizing children and very relevant to this particular book that we're discussing, Dan Schneider, who is the creator of many shows on Nickelodeon, um, has been accused of these types of abuses. Um, Like, he would write scenes that, like, put the young girls in uh, situations that looked sexual or, like, Just weren't appropriate for that age. Yeah, like, made inappropriate jokes. I know there was, like, a really strong emphasis on feet as well. Like, feet fetishes yeah um which is highly inappropriate uh there also were issues with like costumes that they would put the young girls in skimpier outfits regardless of whether they were comfortable with it and then also he would drink alcohol with these underage children um and a lot of times like pressure them into partaking in alcohol which led to a lot of issues with, you know, alcohol abuse later on for a lot of these yeah. children as well. Yeah, which Jeanette really highlights in her memoir. But mm-hmm. it's just wild that, like, we watched these shows growing up. Like, we're at the age where these were shows that were made for us. Yeah, And it's not something that I was conscious of as a child. But it's like, I wonder, like, if it had any sort of impact on my brain that otherwise wouldn't have been there I just don't know I really don't know like to what extent it affects children to like consume that type of thing because like if you really don't understand what's going on I just kind of have a feeling that it goes over your head but it's certainly harmful to the actors and looking back on it like there was certainly a lot of innuendo that kind of flew over your head that I, yeah. I do probably think it does influence the way like children act or the things they say or like how they view certain situations that yeah. weren't handled well in like shows like that. So yeah, I'm I'm sure it affects us later yeah, on. But definitely the um people who are most affected were would be the, the actors, actresses themselves. Yeah. Shows. yeah. But it's just wild. I know like also people alleged that which I say alleged, it's 
like it's more than likely true like it's probably 1000% true it's just that I I did not witness it personally um (laughs) so we're just gonna say that he did it but he would like ask the like actors and actresses mainly the actresses it was more towards female children um he would ask them for massages he would have them sit on his lap too just like so much wildly inappropriate behavior just so gross (laughs) yeah he's disgusting so yeah that's in hell dan schneider unfortunately he's still alive so he won't be in hell anytime soon so we're gonna move on to the discussion questions i think first of all this is something that's interesting to me the title of this book i'm glad my mom died there have been people that are like that's offensive that's insensitive that's harsh but jeanette really stands by her choice so I want to ask your opinion. Like, do you think it's okay to express relief about someone's passing? And like, if so, like under what circumstances? I absolutely do. And I read a little bit more on this as well. Once I saw your, your question here. So something that I saw was that a lot of the time when a parent passes, but specifically a mother passes, you tend to, almost romanticize the memories that you had with them or the interactions that you had with them. And I think that's something that Jeanette did a lot, you mm-hmm. know, even growing up, like, um, I remember the very beginning of the book, like her parents getting into a fight, right. And mm-hmm. her mom like pulls a knife on her dad and she's like cheering for her mom in the corner. Cause she thought she was so strong and so brave yep. when in fact, you know, she was a psycho. Um, <laughs> And as she grew, obviously, she realizes she was just very manipulative. And I'm sure it was a huge relief for her when she no longer had to just constantly deal with the manipulation, the mind games. Like, I bet she was just exhausted all the time. Yeah. And so I agree with her. I'm I'm sure it was a big weight off of her shoulders when a parent her parent passed. And not only, you know, was she manipulative, but she also was just incredibly selfish and self-centered. And, um, you know, with like her, her diagnosis with breast cancer, like she made her children just constantly like relive these memories. Um, and that does a lot to a person. And so she basically just never has to think about it again. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think it's selfish. And I think the people who say it's selfish are probably people who maybe haven't had to deal with that type of situation before. And I think you could probably speak on it better than I could. Um, I mean, potentially. Yeah. I, that's the thing I was going to say is if anyone like has those criticisms for Jeanette, for like making that statement and making it the title of her book then that signals to me that they have not ever dealt with abuse. They've never had anyone emotionally, physically, any, any type of abuse, like true abuse. If you're really going to take that stance and like say that that's, that should apply to everyone, then you just don't understand. I also fear that the people who are saying this are also probably people who didn't read the book yeah, um, there's a good chance. They probably saw that title and they were like, well, that's messed up. Well, in a lot, I, I'm sure most of them may be mothers or, you know, grandmothers or people who are in like a parental type role yeah. where they would probably feel betrayed if their children ever felt that way. And, you know, perhaps they maybe need to 
think back on their own actions with yeah, let's have a little bit of children. introspection um is there a reason why you're afraid your children might ever say that about you right um if so maybe, maybe so maybe have a chat with them and maybe apologize not everyone's perfect no one's perfect like i'm like everyone makes mistakes but this was way more than that yeah this-, this has nothing to do with her mom being imperfect and everything to do with her mom just being a bad person yeah um who never who never sought to better herself or apologize or make up for the things that she did to hurt those around her to the day she died she doubled down on it <laughs> she was literally on her deathbed doubling down on everything that she did so um you know I saw a review for this book and all it said was I'm also glad her mom died and I, I saw that too like, <laughs> that is the best review of this book um yeah it's fucked up I I agree with you um I it also kind of reminds me of like you know the the phrase "Don't speak ill of the dead." Like, why not? Like, if you would, they don't you care. Would trash talk them while they're alive, then you can trash talk them while they're dead. Well, and I also think there's other circumstances too where that could be the same. So, like, obviously, her mom sucked. She was terrible, but she's also sick. And I think sometimes with sick relatives, like people feel very guilty. Mm-hmm. when they want them to you know find that peace and pass on and you know be done with what they're dealing with and I don't think it's wrong yeah to want that I'm sure yeah. they also want that yeah to be honest that that is a completely different scenario that I I kind of forgot about but yeah like that's another sense of relief that you can feel when someone passes is if they're you know physically or emotionally suffering yeah um, because of an illness that's an interesting take as well. So no, I don't think she's wrong. Yeah, agreed. The next question I have is, of all of the red flags that Jeanette's mom was waving, which were a lot, did you have one that like stuck out to you throughout the entire book of like, oh my God, that's the worst one? Yes, it was. A lot of it happened at the beginning of the book as well. There were bad things that happened, but seeing how early these things happened is the biggest thing for me that she was able to start manipulating her children at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first one, and I think you put this too, is making her kids watch like her cancer battle over and over and over. Yeah. And I just remember like, like gather around this, kids. like her Jeanette was trying to, I think, lighten the situation. So she was like singing Christmas carols and her mm-hmm. mom was like, you know, can't you learn to read the room? Like, can you understand? Like, this was a bad time for me. And she was literally like, what, three, four, like three or four. So that really stuck out to me. I was like sick to my stomach reading that. I was just like, mm-hmm. God, like I cannot imagine like my mom being sick, first of all, but also recording all of it and then making herself and her children relive that trauma yeah. daily. It and wasn't even like every like, now and then it was daily. Yeah. Like daily. And then anytime like someone would like come over to visit, she's like, Oh, let's put on the, some family videos. And it's her literally like, terminal like dying. <laughs> that one was whack. And the book literally starts off with that. So yes, yeah. I agree. 
And then the other one, it was also kind of at the beginning of the book, but, and I, I talked about it earlier, but just the fact that like Jeanette was so in her corner on literally everything her mom could do no wrong. So her poor dad is out here, like trying to make ends meet, like picking up overtime, unfortunately missing family dinners and her mom just like reaming him as soon as he walks in telling him how much he doesn't care for their family and how he's not there for her kids and, you know, kicking him out constantly. And then when she does, you know, confront him with a weapon, like Jeanette was like, yeah, that's my mom. Like yeah. I'm going to stand by her because she could do no wrong. It's wild for me. Like another one that was kind of towards the beginning is like the fact that her mom refused to let her children shower themselves and would even sometimes like have the siblings shower at the same time with her like being the one showering them. And that like, not only is that, you know, controlling and whatever, it's just wildly inappropriate to like borderline. I don't want to say like pedophilic, but I mean, it's, it's definitely that's a very aggressive term, yeah. but I know what you mean. Like maybe that's not exactly the way to classify it. Because It wasn't like a sexual thing. It was definitely mm-hmm. like a control thing. Yeah. However, there is a certain age where it's, not appropriate yeah to have like siblings shower together like for sure and like you know my sister and I were very close in age and so like we my parents would do that you know for ease and whatever right but I would say as soon as we were like four Mm -hmm. (laughs) we stopped doing that because we were able to shower ourselves because it's one thing whenever it's small children um it's another I think like Jeanette was 16 at one point Mm-hmm. when this is happening like a shared shower with her brother where and her, her brothers were older her. than her as well yeah. like <laughs> so they're adolescents they've gone through puberty this is not preschoolers having bath time together right so it it's is just icky it's very icky <laughs> um another wild thing that her mom did was not only encourage Jeanette to develop an eating disorder but um, to knowingly worsen it and refuse to, you know, backtrack or get her help whenever multiple people express their concerns for Jeanette's condition, including her pediatrician. Her mom was like, no, she just. I think I know better than you. <laughs> yeah, she's just a picky eater. Like, she's fine. And uh, literally, like, another mom at the dance studio was like, I think. Like, it's possible that Jeanette might have an eating disorder. (laughs) And her mom was like, you nosy bitch. It's just insane. Well, and like in the prologue, she's even like, I know it'll wake my mom up telling her I'm 89 pounds. Mm -hmm. And she was, I mean, she was actively on, I know she was starting Sam and Kat at that time. She was a young adult. You know, late teens or maybe in her 20s by then, Mm -hmm. certainly. So very unhealthy weight um i think that goes without saying but you should not be that age and that height and be 89 pounds it almost makes me want to go back and like rewatch episodes of iCarly just to see if you can just tell. to see if i can tell yeah cuz i'm sure at my age i was just like wow that's like ideal yeah this is what people are supposed to look like or like at my age like I didn't even notice I was just like 
Yeah. That's like, just that makes sense. That's a teenager. Like, I don't know. I I don't remember ever having thoughts about her body as a child. Neither. I doubt that I did, but like just subconsciously, I wonder if it affected like I'm sure it did. I'm sure it affected a lot of young girls. My I feel like Disney and Nickelodeon both are kind of notorious for that though, because like I mean, they didn't really have plus size characters. And if they did, they were for comedic relief. They weren't That's a the main thing. character. Even Raven Simone in her own show, she's literally the main character. She's not taken seriously in the way like she is of course she's funny and like that's part of the thing but she doesn't have like a bunch of like significant others throughout the show and like whereas I'm thinking of like um okay Hannah Montana Montana. she's got multiple boyfriends like um Wizards of Waverly Place Alex Mm -hmm. Russo dates a lot of people and then in contrast Harper her best friend is the comedic is, relief <laughs> is not even like I'm not even necessarily going to call her plus size, but she's just not a size two. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's the comedic relief and she's like got this unrequited crush throughout the entire set show. But of course, nobody could like her back because she's the she's the goofy the weird friend. friend. Yeah. So it's just like aggressively thrown in our faces. Another personal favorite, just really quick, is when yeah. Jeanette got her own apartment and her mom was literally staying the night every single night and wouldn't get the fuck out. And Jeanette wanted to have her boyfriend over. So she was like, Mom, I'm going to just need you to just go home for the night. And her mom knew she was like lying about the reason. <laughs> the reason. It's not funny. but she I was- cannot wait to talk <laughs> about her boyfriend. Oh, my God. I cannot wait to talk about him. I got some things to say. But then her mom just, like, chucks a remote at Jeanette's head. So what did you think about Nickelodeon's Hush Money offer? That was wild. That was super wild. Yeah. What I thought was, first of all, that that's not enough money. No. And it's funny because, like, $300,000, that's a a lot of money. Like, that's a lot. And that's a lot to turn down. I'm very proud of her that she did it. But when you think about it, about the abuse that she and so many other people suffered at the mm-hmm. hands of this man, Dan Schneider, that's who we're talking about. $300,000 is not enough. And it's like, okay, is it only $300,000 because they were trying to pay off so many people and they were like, okay, we have a budget of $2 million. Yeah, it's like, how do you put a price on like trauma? I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's that's the best you could come up with to try to bribe people like it's not enough. Yeah. And I guess being in that situation, too, it's like, I don't know how much they were making per episode. I'm sure it wasn't a ton like Mm -hmm. it it was Nickelodeon. And while Nickelodeon has a a ton of money, I don't know if their stars were getting paid that much because they didn't know any better. Jeanette obviously was doing okay. Like she she did buy a house. Sure. Um, and then like later the apartment or maybe the apartment came first. I, I know the house was an issue for her because it had a bunch of shit wrong with it. So that was kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. But like she had enough that she could support herself, but she was concerned about money because yeah. career wise, she was struggling with what she wanted to do. 
So it wasn't that like she was so well off that she was never going to have to work again. So turning down $300,000 was. I'm sure it was a sacrifice. Yeah, that was a strong thing to do. But I'm also sure they do that on purpose. Like they keep them kind of in that limbo between being, you know, broke and like Mm -hmm. being self-sufficient to where if something like that does happen, be like, well, I can make all of your problems go away. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Another power control thing. I think the best part about it all is like when she called it hush money, they were like, no, think of it as a thank you gift. Like, thank you for what? Thank you for letting us abuse you and control <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the use of therapy you. I'm going to have to endure. <laughs> yes, thank you. I know they said they've, like, turned a new leaf, like, with Nickelodeon and stuff, but do they really come out with, like, new shows ever? Like, I'm know. sure these allegations have really, like, affected, like, viewers. I don't know what the news is on Nickelodeon. Like, I don't know what shows exist anymore without I don't either I don't really watch TV I'll have I'd to be Google interested that. to see I don't even know um what shows are on Disney or anything either though and they they didn't have like a scandal at this um level yet not saying that they won't <laughs> but maybe maybe Miley Cyrus will drop a, a hot book one day for us and maybe I can get that closure so when you you know hear stories like this and like other high profile like child star meltdowns and some good examples of that would be like Lindsay Lohan, Britney Spears. Does it make you view young actors differently? As far as like seeing them differently, it's yes, because the media plays such a large role in how we interpret things. Because if it wasn't for the media, I wouldn't know the first thing about what's going on in Lindsay Lohan's life or Britney yeah. Spears' life. Like I like, I don't know. I'm not friends with them. I don't know anything about what they're doing. And so the media gets to control the narrative. And if they want the narrative to be like, oh, she's gone crazy. She's gone off the deep end. Like, that's what the narrative is going to be. I think that now we have finally kind of like started to as a society like open our eyes up a bit and be like oh like shit's fucked like with Britney Spears like you know all the the stuff that just went down with her family all the legal battles um and to where she finally got you know her control back people were behind her and they were rooting for her which I think was really nice to see and Lindsay Lohan's doing better as of late. <laughs> we actually just recently watched her Christmas movie and it was yeah. okay. <laughs> she actually just announced her pregnancy. So she's thriving, you know, she's ready to be a mom. And I think that's wonderful for her. She's only 36. Did you know that? I mean, that makes sense. I She looks older, unfortunately, because, because I mean, she's had a hard trauma life. and like substance use that. Yeah you know, she was trying to self-medicate with. But yeah, Um, I'm sure she's only 36. (laughs) But I think that like something that we can do, I guess, as like the target audience for like media and movies and shows is like to pay attention to these things. If allegations are made, believe them and support them. So on the same token with that, though, I feel like people are also just so quick to believe as well. Not even necessarily allegations against like these women. Like, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They were done so horribly wrong and 
that's not even half their story. But I think of like TikTok and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. every single day, like you'll see, you know, really famous or like famous TikTokers and you'll follow their content. Like I, I love to watch these people. And now like you always have like the search bar and it's like so-and-so controversy or so-and-so mm-hmm. whatever. And people are so quick to be like, yeah, cancel them. Like, yeah. Yeah. They're they and that's obviously what I have think- done something wrong. Yeah, I think we do have a responsibility to to separate out like people's like true like mistakes that they're remorseful about and apologize for and take responsibility for versus abusers <laughs> like Dan Schneider. Yeah. Like, you know, someone fucking up and like hurting someone's feelings is not the same thing right. as chronically abusing people that they're like above power wise or you know older than um or you know should be responsible for yeah. you could say like it's just a different situation so like if you see like so and so controversy like um cheated on her husband like yeah that's a fucked up thing to do but it's also not it's not the same someone. Well, and I also just think, like, what if, like, social media, like, what we have now had been relevant, you know, in the early 2000s? Like, just think of how, like, I don't know if it would have helped or hindered some people's line of work. Like, Because, again, the media had such a strong role in, like, how how we interpreted things. And so, like, would it have just made things worse for people to just weigh in on the situation. Well, and so the second part of this question is what should studios and agents be doing differently? And unfortunately, I think studios are a big part of the problem because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time, you know, maybe as people get older or as they're ready to like phase others out, like they have no qualms with like releasing hints or like giving like a, a little bit of information and letting the media like run wild with it or at least yeah. protecting those people. And so I think there's a lot that would have to change within studios because I do think they're the base of the issue. Yeah, I really, I agree. It's hard because like, what do we think they should be doing differently? Like a lot, but what can we possibly do about it? I'm not sure. Well, I don't even think we've scratched the surface on, (laughs) you know, what's going on behind closed doors either. And so it's really hard to answer that question without knowing the full extent of like the issues they've caused or the damage that they've done. And so like in terms of agents, like I think agents can only do so much, like all they're doing is representing their client and like, sure, they can give their feedback as well. But if it's an agent going up against a studio like Nickelodeon, like, Mm -hmm. who are they going to believe, you know? And it's also like a large part of the responsibility should fall on the parents. But like we've discussed, like these parents are oftentimes shitty. Yeah. So like, what do you do? They're looking for a meal ticket. Yeah. And they're getting what they want. I don't know. So I, it's it's really hard to answer that question because I truly do not know what to do differently because there's so many part like integral parts of the whole system that are broken. Yeah, I feel like almost 
there would have to be like changes in legislation to ensure the protection of these children. Oh, I agree. But I feel like, unfortunately, some of those people are probably tied into the problem and they're benefiting from it somehow. And so, you know, things like the Coogan law, like, yeah, on the surface, yeah, that looks great that they pass that legislation. Like, (laughs) we're helping child stars. But in reality, 15% is not doing anything for them. Yeah. No, I agree. That's tough. It's tough. So I kind of wanted to talk about like the, the portrayal of therapy throughout this book, because like we start off with Jeanette's therapist that she sees for the first time. And her name's Laura in the book. I doubt that's her name in real life, but she took a really interesting approach with Jeanette considering, well, I guess at the time, I'm not sure she understood the magnitude of Jeanette's relationship with her mom, but she kind of acted like a helicopter mom. Like she insisted on being a plus one to like these events and stuff to like with the intention of helping Jeanette to make healthy choices with her eating disorder. Um, The issue was that it was extremely triggering for Jeanette to feel even more controlled and watched. Um, But I feel like that kind of highlights the importance of in therapy, you need the therapist to be a good fit for you. Otherwise, one, it's not going to work. And two, it might actually backfire and make things worse. Because for Jeanette, when this happened, she like completely shut down and then just like swore off. She regressed. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I think therapy and the way like mental health was viewed in the early 2000s is way different than how it's viewed today. And just in terms of like the general care that you receive, it was way different back then as well. And so I don't think, I don't know if there's anything different that she could have done um, because I don't know if there were as many options for her or if it was just kind of like a one size fits all thing with therapists because that's all you had. Um, I do think in terms of like her therapist, like she definitely probably could have taken a different, I mean, she could have, she could have taken a different approach to it. There's no, she could have, no, she should have. And, you know, recognize that that's not what Jeanette needed because that's what she was already dealing with. And it's Mm -hmm. obviously not working for her. Um, and so just taking a different approach there, but I mean, if you have every therapist thinking their solution is the right solution, then she may not have received the best care she could have until, you know, things changed in that line of work. You know, I do. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. But I also just kind of wonder, have you ever heard of a therapist doing something like that? Like, being like invite me to this thing. And we're going to hang out. I feel like she was doing it for clout. Like she wanted to be seen with Jeanette. What were her intentions? Because that's a weird fucking thing to do. But I feel like you hear about that, like therapists, like overstepping. And like, that's really sad. But like, I feel like, especially if you're dealing with like kind of a high profile client, 
and like, I'm not saying every therapist is like this. There are Mm -hmm. very good therapists out there. You should not mistrust your therapist, but I do think there are therapists who take advantage of their clients. Right. It's like, was she advance their careers? Yeah. Was she like, she's famous. So I'm going to go out and be seen with her and kind of like promote myself like it was a selfish move because that made such a poor image for Jeanette too I'm sure to be like oh yeah I had to bring my therapist with me because I have a crazy eating disorder and can't control myself and like that writes its own narrative too and so I feel like that was so detrimental to like her self-image and the way she viewed herself and that caused like the backslide and so Yeah, that was just shitty for her therapist to do. Yeah, that was a really rough part of the book to get through just because it was like, this could have been handled so much better. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors there. No, I agree. And later she does, um, she starts seeing a therapist named Jeff who seems to take a much better uh, approach and a much more traditional route that I would expect from a therapist where you just talk things out and give them assignments rather than invite yourself to their work events as a plus one um anyway no shade laura but please don't do but that like anymore. some shade laura maybe <laughs> reconsider speaking of you know dysfunctional relationships steven. Let's, let's talk about steven um steven you wild man <laughs> steven you know it was crazy it was like she first met Steven and it just felt like what she needed. Yeah. Like I was, was like, Steven sounds good for you. Yeah. She was attracted to him. He was attracted to her. They immediately like had chemistry and he was like, Hey, he was the one who suggested she um, try therapy, which I thought was a great suggestion. He really cared about like wanting the best for her and like wanting her to be healthy and well. However, Steven found God. God. Okay, so this is going to come across as insensitive because it turns out what Stephen was actually dealing with was a psychotic break due to schizophrenia. However, (laughs) when he got to the point where this was before he actually, um, you know, what was symptomatic enough to be diagnosed, he just kind of told Jeanette that he found God because he watched the movie God's Not Dead. And I just have a little I have a little story about that. So, <laughs> okay. If anyone has ever seen God's Not Dead, then I just I just want you to picture you're talking to someone and they unironically say that that, that brought them to the Lord and you just try not to laugh. But basically the plot of the movie is this guy's Terrible. a college student. <laughs> And he's got like this philosophy teacher who's an, a self-proclaimed atheist. And the college teacher like tells them basically that they have to write. I think it's not even a paper. I think they just have to write a statement that says God's not dead or sorry, not that says God is not real to like get an A, which I'm just like, first of all, it's legal. Who wrote <laughs> whoever wrote this has never been to college. So the movie ends by like they this student has a debate with the professor and like he owns him because he's like, do you hate God? And the professor's like, of course I hate God. And he was like, how can you hate God if he's not real? Boom, mic drop. And then the professor gets hit by a bus and dies. I'm not even kidding. That's how the movie ends. So 
I just want to like now tell a little story because I took a philosophy class in college. It was the philosophy of science. So it was kind of like about um, astronomy and some biology, like, and like how philosophers helped with, you know, the, the development of science and scientific theories. And at one point we did discuss the problem of evil. The problem goes like this. It's if God is all powerful, all knowing and all good, then there would not be evil because he's all knowing. So he knows about evil. He's all powerful so he can stop evil and he's all good. So he would have the motive to make sure that there's no evil. So that's the argument basically against a God that is all three of these things. And so um, there's this guy in my class. His name's Adam. Hi, Adam, if you're listening. He was offended by this lecture because he is Christian. And um, the professor was basically like, hey, like, I get that. I respect that. Um, This is actually just like, this is a real theory. And so we're just discussing it, you know, like. As As you would any other religion. Right. So he's like, this is just, yeah, a theory. We're just discussing it. And at the end of the semester, so this was like, you know, sometime during the semester, but at the end of the semester, we had all written these papers and you had the option to do a presentation to the class for extra credit. And so Adam had written his paper about um, proving that God is real and had requested to present that to the class. And so he did. And Adam tried to God's not dead our professor. In like real word life. for word? I can't remember because I can't remember if it was word for word. Because that'd be wild. But it was basically what, you know, the plot of the movie was what he was doing. Like he was trying to own his philosophy professor who said that God's not real. Awesome. And I, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it because like, I don't know, I might have like repressed it a little bit. But yeah, I had my very own God's not dead attempt experience in college and so i just want to let you guys know that it goes nothing like the movie because in real life the argument is really really stupid so whenever steven in i'm glad my mom died said that he watched i'm watched god's not dead and was now a christian i did laugh out loud that's the end <laughs> was of this story. actually adam <laughs> Adam, did you date Jeanette McCurdy? Or- no, he'd be a little young because he was younger than me even. Yeah, I did do some th- some thorough research on that because I was just like, what a wild thing to have happen to you mm-hmm. that you think you are Jesus. Schizophrenia is a wild thing. It's a yes. very delicate mental illness. And, mm-hmm. and I can I- actually talk about this a little bit because like um, I do have like a a decent amount of working knowledge about schizophrenia, you know, from school. And actually right now I'm on rotation in an inpatient psychiatric unit for school. So I do kind of know the, the general symptoms like, and it's interesting because delusions um, Mm -hmm. are, are certainly a symptom of schizophrenia, which believing that you are Jesus reincarnated is a delusion. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times in schizophrenia, delusions are of the religious like variety or like 
you know, like they, they have to do with religion, such as believing you are Jesus Christ reincarnated, like Stephen. Which happens a lot. It does. Or thinking that God is speaking directly to you or sending messages to you. Um, Those are very, very common delusions present in schizophrenia. Another one that you see a lot is like, it has to do with like witchcraft and thinking Mm. either that you're being um, targeted by witches or that you are a witch, you know, or like you have a witch attacking you or demons attacking you. Um, So yeah, they are usually, uh, they have something to do with religion and or supernatural um, forces, which is very fascinating to me. I wonder if it's just because like those are like kind of, like not unattainable but like things that are not just like seen or like practice or like you're not able to like feel those and so it's like it they make it real because they like either want it to be real or because it's like something that like other people like can't grasp but so they think like almost like on like an elevated status I mean it, it very well could be it's fascinating because the symptoms are so similar yeah. And all of these these different people from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is interesting. Yeah. It's like what's the common denominator here? Yeah, like why is it, you know, targeting a certain like part of our brain that's associated with like more abstract concepts or something? Yeah. Why It sounds like it. Yeah. Like why why do they all go to like similar types of delusions? But to answer the question about oh, Stephen, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. do you think it's fair to say that the two of them needed to focus on getting well individually before they're capable of supporting each other? Yes, I do. Um, because they were not in good space. And I, I do think, you know, they, they probably loved each other. They probably did care deeply, deeply yeah. for each other. However, you cannot care fully for someone else until you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. And you can, it's just not a sustainable thing. Yeah. And it's going to, it's going to probably lead to hurting you both in the long run. Well, it could also cause the development of, you know, other things, or it could cause other things to like manifest in your present illness. Yeah, for sure. I think it's funny. I literally forgot to even ask the question because I got (laughs) so excited about God's not dead. (laughs) I kind of want to end on this question because this is kind of the one of the last things that happens in the book. Yeah. But like, as if Jeanette needed another wrench thrown into her life, she learns as a young adult that her dad is not her biological father. Do you think it's a good thing that she learns this information? Her stepmom is the one that told her dad that she deserved to know. Do you agree? I I don't know. Um, I think it's fair for her to know. Okay, I think it's fair for her to know, just to know that there are other people out there. Mm-hmm. However, I think the news could be delivered at a like a time where she feels as though she's on like a stable ground. Mm-hmm. And I don't, obviously, I don't think she was there at that time. But if she wants to, like, pursue that relationship, I think that should be an option for her, for sure. Um, and it turns out she did. She did yeah, want to pursue yeah. that. 
they didn't force it upon her or anything, mm-hmm. but I, I do think it's fair that she knows about it. Um, yeah. Because I, I do think that was something that also, you know, maybe played a role in her ability to kind of step away from that unhealthy relationship with her mom. I think she's glad that they told her, but like, it felt like it wasn't handled tactfully. Right. Basically, her dad was just like, yeah, by the way, like, my new wife told me that I have to tell you that I'm not your biological father. And I was just like, good Lord, <laughs> this is just, this is just not what she needed right now. Um, I think that honestly, she should have been told sooner. Well, her mom. I know. Didn't want her image ruined. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think if this is, this is her mom's fault. Like, yeah. This is I think that it's she awesome known. that her dad still chose to like step up. Yeah. And like, I think that shows that he, I don't know. It's such a strange relationship between the two of them. Cause I mean, he's not completely faultless either. Like that man has no backbone. No, he's kind of a wimp. <laughs> like he did let that lady just step all over him. For years. For years. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he's not faultless either. He saw the abuse and did nothing about it. Yeah, he's a, an interesting character in my book because, like, yeah, well, he did not contribute to the abuse. And, you know, in general was, like, a decent dad. Sure. Like, he, like, was semi-present. Um, He certainly did not do anything to protect his children from their mother and it's just like it's hard to like to justify that that choice yeah I don't know but I mean she did also pull a knife on him so obviously he was also being abused by this woman I think maybe too like I don't want to like say this is like make him seem like a hero or anything but like maybe he also stuck around to make sure that he was able to provide as much as possible for them because he knew their mom wouldn't yeah no i'm sure that he did and like i think that he was trying his best with with how he knew how to cope yeah but i think at a certain point like you're the adult and if you need help, if you need to learn like what resources or what coping skills you need to get you and your children out of the situation, like ultimately it's on you to do that. Like your children yeah. can't do that for you or no, for themselves. I know that like he was working with what he had, but he he needed to do better. <laughs> I don't opinion. think he was a bad dad. I think no. he was just not the best dad he could have been yeah and i mean i think again he also was a victim of abuse sure. of Jeanette's yeah. mom like i Jeanette's I mom that. i'm not worst. dismissing that yeah i'm glad she died um <laughs> anywho period <laughs> yeah and it's also something that's like oh it's easy for me to say because i don't have kids and i'm right. not in an abusive relationship where my kids are suffering so it's like easier said than done i get sure. that um just just putting those thoughts out there for discussion well and also too i forget that they are i mean they're mormon and so like maybe it was like he felt like he couldn't leave Mm -hmm. i'm sure because i'm sure it wasn't like highly looked upon to get a divorce so not only was he actively being you know abused by his wife but he 
was in an abusive relationship with religion. Like the Mormon church does not treat its people very well um, in general as a whole. I'm not saying there aren't some Mormon churches that are probably fine, but there are definitely lots that aren't. And so I just, which is yeah, with it, that's with any religion. Like that's with any religion. Yes. I'm not coming for Mormons specifically. Yeah. Um, it's just something it's easy to abuse people because you have someone who's quote unquote above you in a position of power, like spiritually and emotionally who can take advantage of you in the church. So that's going to be with any, any church anywhere. Absolutely. These are all some heavy topics. I would say everyone's probably got an opinion that they feel really strongly about on any of these issues. And so if you kind of want to contribute to the conversation, we'd love to discuss with you guys. If you want to email us or DM us, our contact information's on our website. Uh, But definitely you should listen to the audiobook. It's, It's really good. It's really good. And next week, we're going to be starting the Steminist novellas by Allie Hazelwood. <laughs> There's three of them. So those I'm are, so ready. Three minisodes. Um, but the first one's called Under One Roof. And then the week after, we're actually not going to have an episode because Tabby's going on a little spring break. Mm-hmm. But we'll be back with the second Steminist novella called Stuck With You on April 17th. Yes. So, so go ahead. Um, you can download those on Kindle and you can buy the complete set. It's called Loaf to Love You mm-hmm. if you want to just knock them all out as one. I think they're only like $2. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they're really affordable. They're um, really affordable because they're only like 100 pages. Yes, they're they're so short. So if you charge any more, it's criminal. So <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, go ahead and get started on those. We'll talk to you next week. And as always, let's get lit.